Hello! Welcome back to the Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. This is my 15th podcast, and by now I have got some pretty good statistics indicating which subjects are more popular than others. The most popular podcasts are about mercenaries, and I'll talk more about them. You know, they're not only interesting, they're a reminder that the means and methods of warfare may look different from age to age, but they have enduring characteristics. Mercenaries, PSCs, PMCs, PS, PMSCs, etc. also provide a useful example of the application of the laws and customs of war to contemporary conflicts. So, I will talk more about mercenaries, but first, I have to set the stage about those laws and customs of war, what they are, and why they're still important. In the previous two podcasts, I explained the criteria of the Just War Framework And then General Father Patrick Dolan described how these criteria can be met and have been met in historic and recent American wars. I focused on jus ad bellum, which describes the justice in the act of a state going to war. In this podcast, I'll talk about the other part of just war, jus in bello, or justice in the conduct of war. Today, these two complementary aspects form the basis of the law of war. Just as important, they shape U.S. perceptions of the moral aspect of war and are integral to the culture of our armed forces. As a reminder, the criteria for a war to be just include a reasonable prospect of success, the right intent, a just cause, last resort, proper authority, and proportionality, that is, that the positive effects must outweigh the evils attendant to war. I also mentioned the criterion of distinction, which is closely related to proportionality and requires reasonable efforts to protect non-combatants from harm. Now, these criteria are not rank ordered. They all are equally important. For that reason, every time I list these criteria, I put them in a slightly different order. I need to mention that some lists of jus ad bellum do not include distinction. This isn't because distinction is not equally important but it is because it's considered part of proportionality or because it's more properly considered a law of war principle applying to use in bellow or the proper conduct in the conduct of war. Now, this is okay, but I think that including it in use ad bellum emphasizes that in going to war, a state should also be committed to acting justly in the conduct of that war. So, What are these jus in bello principles? The foundations of the laws and customs of war are based on two overarching precepts. The first is that non-combatants should be protected from attack. And the second is that the means and methods of warfare are not unrestricted. These precepts are ancient and nearly universal. There were exceptions, as Father Dolan mentioned in the last podcast, where in victory, a warring party deliberately violated these precepts. But for two millennia, they've been enshrined in the codes of chivalry and other warrior honor codes in Europe, Asia, and even among Aboriginal tribes. The specific limits varied from time to time and place to place, but there was always an inherent understanding that there were, in fact, limits. Today's fundamental objectives of protecting non-combatants and limiting violence can be traced back to the peace of God, or in Latin, Pax Dei, dating from the 10th century and various codes of chivalry. 
But it wasn't until Hugo Grotius's Law of Nations in the 17th century when he identified three interdependent principles, military necessity, humanity, and honor, which form the framework for contemporary laws of armed conflict. The first principle is military necessity. Now, this authorizes a belligerent to use whatever force is necessary for the complete submission of the enemy at the earliest possible moment. Now, this doesn't sound like a limitation on the means and method of warfare, not at first glance, but really it is. First, military necessity does not overrule proportionality, which I described in the previous podcast and which I'll touch again, touch on again in a little bit. Uh, second, it only authorizes force that is necessary and not excessive to the ends of the war. Third, and extremely important, is that its intent is to end the war as quickly as possible. As I mentioned in the podcast on what is just war, Colin Powell described overwhelming force as critical to ending a war quickly and limiting both friendly and enemy casualties that would result from half-hearted measures leading to a protracted war. Finally, military necessity does not allow actions that are forbidden by the laws of war. This principle is another example of how the just war framework parallels self-defense laws. In this case, the self-defense requirement of limiting the use of force to that which is necessary and reasonable is similar to the limitations of military necessity. Humanity. Humanity is the reciprocal to military necessity. If certain actions are necessary for the quick submission of the enemy and ending the destruction and suffering of war, then actions not necessary to that end are unjustified. Humanity forbids willful infliction of suffering, injury, or destruction unnecessary to military objectives. Looked at from a military operational perspective, humanity is not a restriction on military effectiveness. Instead, it's another way of looking at the U.S. military principle of economy of force. This principle advocates expending minimum essential combat power on secondary efforts, enabling maximum possible combat power on primary efforts. In the same way, humanity allows maximum force to be applied on things that are militarily necessary and avoid using military power for unnecessary purposes. Up until the last half of the 20th century, it's important to understand that the laws of war were largely written by soldiers, not politicians. Their clear intent was to allow that which was militarily necessary and restrict those things that were not. In other words, the laws of war were written with a sense of realism. Unfortunately, I cannot say the same for various conventions and protocols written since then. Humanity in military operations is necessary for the right intent of war, that is, a more just peace. Hugo Grotius wrote that a just cause might justify going to war, but humanity in the conduct of war recognizes that the warring sides must live together again after justice is restored. These principles form the basis of proportionality and discrimination in the conduct of war. In a previous podcast, I described both proportionality and discrimination in use ad bellum. Proportionality in use in bello 
is much the same. In planning a military operation, the expected damage must not outweigh the military advantage commanders expect to achieve towards ending the war. We must remember, however, that war is the realm of the unexpected, and damage from a battle always has the chance of outweighing any possible advantage gained from it. Discrimination has specific requirements in use in Bello, including what must and must not be done to protect the civilian population and property. Positive actions include distinguishing military forces from civilians. Examples include the mandatory use of uniforms, flags, and vehicle markings. It also means that non-combatants and civilians must not appear like combatants. Examples include prohibiting civilian wear of military-style dress or adopting clear markings visible from a distance, such as the Geneva Convention Red Cross, or internationally recognized markings for self civil defense and other symbols. Insofar as military necessity allows, military objectives should be far enough away from civilians or protected property to avoid unintended or collateral deaths and damage. This places positive requirements on both sides. For the one side, it means that you should avoid attacking military objectives that are not militarily necessary that are close to civilian population centers. On the other side, it means that you should not place military objectives or military targets, military activities in close proximity to civilian populations. Discrimination also prohibits using civilians or protected property as shields to protect military personnel and targets from attack. Military forces hiding among civilians and protected property, like churches and hospitals, may still be attacked under military necessity. The violation of discrimination and humanity will then be the responsibility of the party that put the civilians at risk. One more consideration is the notion of mala in se. This is another one of those Latin phrases, this one meaning something evil in itself. This prohibits using weapons or tactics internationally recognized as causing unnecessary suffering or destruction disproportionate to military necessity or that causes indiscriminate harm. Like other elements of use in bello, the idea of mala in se has a long history. There have been various efforts to prohibit various weapons at various times as mala in se, such as the crossbow. Examples today include unmarked minefields, chemical warfare, rape, and pillage. All in all, the purpose of this and other use in bello principles is to keep a just war just under the moral premise that a good outcome never justifies an evil act. The last use in bello principle is honor. From chivalry and other warrior codes to Grotius's work on international law and even to the present day, the notion of honor in war remains important. Its opposite, perfidy, is even a specific crime under the law of war. What, however, do we mean by honor? And why is it or any element of just war still valid today. Unfortunately, I'm out of time on this podcast. Actually, that's fortunate for you because in the next podcast, I'll be joined by Colonel Jason Altieri, U.S. Army retired, who is an assistant professor at the Air War College. He'll bring his thoughts on just those points. Please join me for that. <laughs>